Malachi chapter 2. We'll be starting in verse 17 and going into chapter 3, verse 5. Continuing our series, and and this uh, section of Malachi actually relates to Palm Sunday as well. I think you'll see that as we go through it. So it is a Palm Sunday message as well as staying in our series. We, I think you heard from Toby last week and he explained we kind of jumped out of sequence a little bit, but going backwards a little bit for this message, but I think it's appropriate for Palm Sunday. The title of the message is, Where is the God of Justice? Um, on February 28, 1944, the Nazi Gestapo raided a home in Harlem in the Netherlands, and they arrested uh, Corrie ten Boom and her family, along with a number of other people who were involved in the Dutch underground. Corrie and her family had been risking their lives to provide shelter to Jews and members of the Dutch resistance. In in the process, they were responsible for saving the lives of over 800 Jews and many Dutch patriots as well. Uh, 51-year-old Corey and her 58-year-old sister Betsy were sent to a brutal concentration camp. And I remember to this day vividly reading the book, The Hiding Place, about their experience and, and coming to the point in the story where they are in the concentration camp And there's a brutal and surly prison guard who's standing over Betsy in the story, beating her, while Betsy, the older sister, implores Corey not to retaliate. I I remember it vividly because I had followed their story and I felt as if I were there. And I remember my reaction. I wanted to jump inside that book and throttle the prison guard. That's what I felt like. I mean, I had to put the book down. I was angry, visibly angry at her treatment. Um, I, I remember this, this deep, visceral sense of injustice, and I needed to do something. Um, I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that, where you've seen an injustice, and you've felt like that. Maybe it's an injustice of an innocent child who's mistreated and abused by those who should have loved and cared for that child. Maybe it's the injustice of watching someone endure suffering and sickness and even death, a premature death perhaps. Maybe it's the injustice of being treated day after day uh, wrongly by an unkind and maybe even unstable boss. Maybe it's just the, the injustice of being disrespected. Sooner or later, all of us are the objects of injustice. And as we experience this or watch this, really what we do is really says a lot about how we understand injustice and how we understand God. There's all sorts of reactions to injustice. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but my tendency is, is to want justice right away. I, I identify with you know, superheroes like Batman and Wolverine, and that's what I want to be at those moments in, in stories like The Hiding Place. I have a hard time with injustice, and my natural response is to get angry and want to do something. We all face injustice. and What we do in response to that, how we understand it, and what we do in response to that will really shape our lives. And I would say even our entire lives can be set on a path by our response to injustice. 
And so, if that's how we feel, if that's how we deal with injustice, then we need something equally powerful, if not more powerful, to come in and, and to overwhelm our overwhelming sense and feeling when we see injustice. And there is something. There's God's Word. There's God Himself. And our passage today really is one of those places in Scripture where we can draw from the deep well of truth, the deep well of of the revelation of who God is and what He's like and what He's going to do in such a way that we can bring an answer to the, to the experience and the observation of injustice in a powerful way that will set us on a cor- course that in the end will be a godly fruitful course versus a destructive course. Thank God for His Word. that He doesn't leave us in this world full of injustice to, to struggle, but He gives us deep and helpful healing answers in Scripture. So let's pray. and We're going to dig into this section of Scripture and learn about this answer He gives us. Lord, thank You for Your Word. And thank You uh, that You are loving and Lord, You care for us. And You've not left us to, to kind of figure it out. You've given us deep answers for these deep struggles. And we thank You for that, Lord. And I pray now, as we dig into this section of Scripture, would You help me, O oh Lord, to to the best of my ability, describe Your truth and represent who You are through Your Word. And Lord, would You work as we dig into Your Word to speak to us that we would hear from You and we would experience this deep answer to this deep struggle. And that we would go from this place better equipped personally and better equipped so that we can help others in Your name. We thank You, Lord, that all these things are in line with who You are and what You want to do so we can ask confidently and we pray together in Christ's name. Amen. Starting in chapter 2, verse 17. It says, You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied Him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and He delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send My messenger." And He will prepare the way before Me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of His coming? And who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear Me, says the Lord of hosts. God's Word from Malachi. We're going to dig in and and learn about how God deals with this issue of injustice. And in the background here, as we're seeing in Malachi, the people of God in Malachi's day, uh, 400 or so years before Jesus came, uh, they they were struggling with different things. And in their struggles, they had lost sight of God. 
And as a result, they were in a spiritual slumber. They had drifted and were drifting away from God. And so God, through Malachi, comes to the rescue to draw their attention back to Him. To see who He is and what He's like. What His ways are like. And to call them to turn away from their worldly ways. To, to set their sights on God. And in the revelation of who He is and His ways, that they would find new life. They would find revival. And so that's what's going on here. They, they're struggling. They're wondering. Um, and they're dealing with the issue of injustice. And, and what's going on in the passage, we'll dig into this, is that they're uh, in that experience of injustice, they're blaming God actually. And they're saying, where are you God? Where is this God of justice? And so God brings His answer in this section. So we'll, we'll just kind of walk through the section. We'll look at the different aspects and we'll see God's answer. So first, the first point is, where is the God of justice? That's their cry. And, Verse 17, where is the God of justice? God says to them, you have wearied the Lord with your words. And they're wondering, well, how would we do that? It says, um, by saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and He delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? It's really striking actually to think here God is saying, you have wearied Me by your words. This is the infinite, glorious God. He is self-sustaining, self-existent. And he is never changing, and yet their words have wearied him. They've worn him out. And so likely what's going on is they're questioning his justice, they're questioning what's going on, and they're blaming him, and they've been doing that for some time. It's probably over the matter of course of years. And certainly the history of God's people in the Old Testament is there's a lot of grumbling that had gone on historically. And God's saying, you've wearied me with this. You keep on going back to this place of, of blaming me. You've, you've, you've turned your eyes off of who I really am and, and, and you're in this place of doubt and blaming me and saying, uh, where is the God of justice? Now, it's important here to understand that the Scripture actually makes lots of room for bringing to God our experience of injustice. To bring to Him, to voice to Him our concerns. To voice to Him our sorrows. To voice to Him our, our, our grief. And our desire for Him to come and bring relief. That's actually throughout Scripture. So this isn't saying, you know, just have a stiff upper lip and, and pretend things are okay. That's not what God's saying. That's not the issue here because we can look throughout Scripture and we see lots of examples of what we can call um, a lament. Scripture is full of a lament. A lament is just an expression of sorrow and grief. It's just recognizing the reality of what you're going through. The fact that it's difficult. The fact that there's injustice. That it's hard. That you're suffering. That others are suffering. It's, a, it's voicing that to God. And Scripture is full of laments. Of bringing to God our sorrows. And, and so we see throughout Scripture in the Psalms. Psalms are full of laments. So Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will You forget Me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Psalm 13. Job, and a whole book really given to the experience of really injustice in certain ways for Job and his response. And he says, Know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed His net about me. Behold, I cry out violence, but I'm not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. He has walled up my way so that I cannot pass, and He has set darkness upon my path. He has stripped from me my glory and taken the crown from my head. The whole book is full of Job's lament, 
these honest, heartfelt, deep cries to God. What's going on, God? I don't understand. Jesus Himself laments and brings His sorrow to God, His Father. Mark 14, He says, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane facing the cross. My soul is very sorrowful even unto death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, He fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from Him. And He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for You. Remove this cup from Me. Not what I will, but what You will. And then on the cross... It says, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Scripture is full of laments. These cries of sorrow to God over injustice, personal and, and around us. But something's going on here in Malachi that's beyond lament. They, they are going beyond lament. They're, they're going with their sorrow, with their suffering to the point of doubt rather than the point of faith. And so if you look in Scripture, you'll see even in Job as he cries out, he's looking to God. He's trusting God to bring an answer. And really that's what the book uh, follows. The theme of the book is I'm suffering God. I'm looking to You. Bring an answer. And then God does bring an answer in Job. So the, the difference is faith versus doubt. It's, they both are sorrows, but one's a lament that's a prayer. One's a complaint that's condemning God. And that's the issue. And they're facing real injustices. They're living under foreign rule. They're, they have corrupted priests and people at the time. The, the promises that they've been given about this, this new temple and, and God's glory that would come um, haven't been realized. Their crops are failing. Their life savings are disappearing. They're mistreated by their leaders. And so, they're in this point of suffering and injustice. But they've lost sight of God. And they move from lament to complaint. And this is a great sin against God because God is the God of grace and faithfulness to them. There's a whole long history of how He has helped them. How He's delivered them. Of how He has worked to rescue them and protect them. A long history of, his, of proof of His sovereignty, of His reign over all things. And, and so, they should know that He is both loving and powerful. And so when they complain, they're basically saying, none of that's true. You're not those things. You're a liar. It's like the child who, who doesn't get their way. And, and as they uh, don't get their way with an otherwise, otherwise gracious parent, they say, I hate you. You never do anything for me. I hate you. I wish I had another mother. I don't know if you ever said that as a kid. I said those sorts of things. and That's what's going on here. It just doesn't make sense. And in their moment of pain, they've lost sight of who God is. and They're complaining. They're accusing God of injustice. And so we see in the story, the issue here is not it's the injustice, but what do you do with injustice? How do you react to injustice? Where do you bring your concerns and your, your sorrows? What do you do with the difficulty? It is ever so important to, to think through that and, and to prepare in times where you aren't suffering for that time of suffering by 
aligning your mind with the truths we see here in Scripture. Don't wait for the suffering to overwhelm you to try to figure out what to do and how to think about the suffering. Prepare now by listening to God's truth and aligning yourself and asking for help. Because there's a danger here. There's a danger that you could end up doing the same thing that people in Malachi's day did. I, and there's a real danger of that. I, I, I know too many sad stories. I was just thinking of, of someone, um, friend, friends of Peg and mine, who went through some really difficult times. They, they uh, would come and stay with us when we used to live in Boston because their oldest son was being treated for leukemia. He had childhood leukemia, and they were bringing him in to one of the hospitals to be treated, and so they'd stay with us, and, and so we were with them, and we prayed with them, and, I, and there were lots of other people praying. These people um, were followers of Jesus. They believed in Jesus, and they were doing relatively well. And we were gathering around them, praying and asking for God to heal their, their son, their young son. It was a, it was a grueling time. And we prayed and we asked the Lord to help and they were using the best medicine they could. And, but despite our prayers and our best efforts, their son succumbed to cancer and he died. He was about 12 years old. And everybody was heartbroken. And in some ways, you, as a parent especially, never fully recover from such a loss. At least in this life. But for this family over time, most of the family experienced a degree of healing in their grief. And they were eventually able to function with some sense of comfort and hope and stability, but, but the mom couldn't get past the tragedy. She couldn't get past the grief. And instead of healing and making progress, she got worse and worse. And she was un found herself unable because of grief really dominating her life in every way. Unable to get beyond her grief and be a mom for her two daughters, two beautiful daughters, or, or a wife for her husband. She lost sight of God from what I can tell in her experience. The lights went out for her. And all she knew was darkness and grief. And I wish I could say that that's changed, but from what I know, it hasn't. And to this day, she's still defined by that grief. And so there's a warning in this, in that story, and there's a warning here in Scripture. There's a better way. There's truth here that can come in and rescue our friend and rescue us. And the best thing to do is prepare ahead of time to dig into these truths and to, to latch on to them and live by them and find strength to, to view injustice in the truth and from the deep well of God's truth that can really give us what we need to deal with these things. So let's look at the answer. They're bringing this, where is the God of justice? This question, and then God says, Here's the God of justice. He says in verse 1 of chapter 3, Behold, this is what I'll do. I'll send My messenger and he will prepare the way before Me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. God's answer to them is that He's going to send His messenger. There's going to be a messenger. And, and, and by the way, the messenger is the same word as Malachi. Uh, so this is... It's a prophet here, speaking of, different than Malachi himself. I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. So God promises to send a messenger to go prepare the way that he is going to come and arrive on the scene and deal with injustice himself. But he'll send his messenger first. And, and we know 
who that messenger is that comes before to prepare the way because this Scripture is quoted in the New Testament, right? Matthew chapter 11, among other places, says, Be, this, is a, this is He of whom it is written, Behold, I will send My messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. And that's right from Malachi. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So John the Baptist is that messenger. And so here, 400 years before he comes, God is saying, I'm going to send John the Baptist and he's going to prepare the way for my arrival. I'm going to come and deal with this injustice. I'm going to come and, and fully and finally deal with this. And so he promises to send John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the final in a long succession of Old Testament prophets sent to prepare the way for encountering God. And He comes to prepare them for the ultimate encounter with God. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And so, God Himself comes. And the second part of the verse is fulfilled uh, on Palm Sunday. Because He Himself, the ultimate messenger, the messenger of the covenant, the Lord whom you'll seek, will come to His temple. And He is coming. And that's Jesus coming, God in the flesh. And He visits the temple. Uh, he comes in. He rides on, in on the donkey as this humble, gracious King, but nevertheless a King. And then on Monday, the first day of the week, He goes to the, the temple and He cleanses the temple. He arrives in the temple and He visits the temple in fulfillment of the promise. He's not abandoned His people. He's come to bring justice. God's answer to the cry, where is the God of justice, is not to merely send some communication via someone else's hand. Or merely say, you've got to get this concept, this idea. It's actually to come Himself in the flesh, among humanity, born as a baby, a poor baby, in a barn, in a stable, in a manger, humbling Himself and taking on humanity, raised in lowly circumstances, subjected to the same injustices, sorrows, and sufferings that we all face. He has endured what we've endured. He enters into our humanity, enters into this broken world to bring a final and full answer to injustice. God Himself shows up to answer injustice. That's God's answer to the people in Malachi's day that I will myself show up. It's not a distant answer sending some dignitary, but He Himself personally intervenes in the situation. Uh, it reminds me actually of, of, a, of a response that Abraham Lincoln um, did during the Civil War. I don't know if some of you know that, that Abraham Lincoln um, would, would often write letters, personal letters to the parents of soldiers who had been killed in battle. And there's a famous letter that he wrote. So we have it to project. He wrote the following letter to her mother who was bereaved of, of five of her sons. He says, Dear Madam, I have been shown in the files of the War Department a statement of the Adjutant General of Massachusetts that you are the mother of five sons who have died gloriously on the field of battle. I feel how weak and fruitless must be any words of mine which should attempt to beguile you from the grief of a loss so overwhelming. But I cannot refrain from tendering to you the consolation that may be found in the thanks of the Republic they died to save. 
I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement and leave only the cherished memory of the loved and lost and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. Yours very sincerely and respectfully, A. Lincoln. A great letter for the president himself to write in this way. But compared to what God does in Malachi and in the Scriptures, it's nothing because God Himself doesn't just send a letter, but God Himself comes and enters into the sorrows and the sufferings Himself to bring justice, to bring rescue, to bring the ultimate answer. He becomes fully human in every way so that He can experience what we experience and in that, ultimately to lead us to a full resolution of injustice. God answers this injustice with Jesus Himself. And the verse goes on to teach us that Jesus will bring justice first through redemption. So let's continue. Jesus, the Son of God, God Himself, the second person of the Trinity in the flesh, is sent by God the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, to come and to bring justice where there's injustice. And He does that through bringing redemption. And so we see following in verse 2, it talks about the redemption that He brings. He, he promises to, to arrive and address this. And, and it's interesting how it starts in verse 2. Do you see that? So God's saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to address this cry for injustice. I'm going to answer this cry for injustice. And then it says in verse 2, He's, he's going to arrive and it says this in light of His arrival, but who can endure the day of His coming? And who can stand when He appears? Isn't it interesting? He's kind of switching the, the, the subject of injustice or the object of injustice here because he's starting to, to address the reality that, you know what, when he shows up to bring injustice, who can stand before him? We all have suffered injustice ourselves, but we all also are perpetrators of injustice towards God and others. That's the reality that we have to factor into all this. As deep as our cry and as right as our cry might be for justice to be done in the world, we ourselves are perpetrators of injustice. The gravest injustice that we do is to snub God. He is the Creator, the Giver of every good gift. He has day after day and moment after moment poured out His grace on us, cared for us. Every good gift we have is from Him. And, and He doesn't just like give you a gift and then He's gone. He's not, he's not what the deist would understand as God. He's actively involved, sustaining His creation at every moment. So that every good gift that you have is not only given by Him, but sustained by Him. The fact that your mind is working right now, that you can see Me with your eyes, that your heart is beating, that your whole system is working, that the chairs are holding you, that gravity is keeping us on the ground, that light is illumining our room, and so forth and so on, is all God's active goodness all the time. And it's all around us all the time. There's so much evidence of His goodness that the Bible can say, truly, I know it's offensive to us, but the fool says in his heart there is no God. And so we have all committed grave injustice against such a good God. He deserves our faith. He deserves our love. He deserves our dependence. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to somehow be God ourselves and pick ourselves up by the bootstraps. He simply wants us to say, we need you. We want to have a relationship with You. Rescue us from our foolishness. That's what He wants. He wants your faith. 
independence. And, and yet we snub Him and turn from Him and we create these alternative systems and there are all sorts of things out there in the world. Religions, false religions, compromised religions, and then wicked evil things. All sorts of things that, that we create to substitute for God. And so our gravest injustice is our treatment of God Himself. And of course, with that comes terrible, terrible, terrible injustices towards one another. Our world is full of brokenness that is, at times, incomprehensible. And Malachi can say, who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? I want justice to be done, but you know what? I am one who's committed injustice. I can't stand. When He comes to do justice, I know He's got to come and deal with me. And he says here that he'll come as a refiner's fire. He's like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Refiner's fire is speaking of, of the fire that would be used to melt metal, gold and silver. That fire would have been heated up to 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Incredibly hot. Um, way hotter than anything you normally encounter. Your oven does 400. Your frying pan maybe 400 plus. This is 2,000 degree heat to bring to metal, to melt it, and to purge it. To get this, the dross, the, the things that aren't gold or silver, to come out and be taken off. It's a purging, a powerful purging and painful purging process. A refiner's fire. And then he, the other comparison is fuller's soap. That's uh, soap used by those who treat wool. It's a strong alkali soap. Uh, and it's, it's strong. It's used to treat the wool, to wash it, to, to make it white, to get rid of the impurities. And it purges the wool uh, and makes it white. And so both of these metaphors are, are used to explain what He's going to do. He's going to come and it's going to be a painful, powerful purging that takes place. He's going to come and He's, he's going to do something powerful. It, it's so important to get this because we on Palm Sunday think of Jesus, gentle Jesus on the donkey. He is indeed gentle and kind and gracious and humble, but He's no wimp. He's Almighty God. And He comes to, to bring a sword actually. Because in who He is, he, he basically lays the line down and says, what are you going to say about who I am? Who am I? And what you think about who I am makes all the difference. And so He comes to refine and He comes... He comes to Israel and, and He is going to come and there are going to be people in Israel who, who will stumble over Him and reject God because of who He is and there will be others who will come and find in Him rescue and redemption. He comes to purge. He comes to deal with evil. He comes to deal with it finally and fully. He comes on the side of perfect justice. God is a God who who's the inventor of justice, actually. The whole idea is from who He is. And this is part of the, the problem here is how can they complain about God's justice when God Himself is the author of justice? And so God will come to bring His justice through His chosen One, through God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And He comes to us who, who are perpetrators of injustice. And even our very best offerings to Him are, are not acceptable. Because in every offering we bring, there's a, a, a bit of injustice, selfishness, or whatever it might be. There's not these pure offerings to bring to Him. 
He looks for those who are good, and there is none that are good, truly. Isaiah 64 speaks about this. It says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We are all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Our best offerings are our polluted garments. And yet, also in Isaiah, he says, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as wool. White as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And it's interesting to take the metaphor of soap and fire and this purging and, and understand actually that ultimately the cleansing comes, the purging comes for the believer through the very blood of Jesus Himself. He comes to offer Himself on the cross to pay for our injustices. And He comes to pay that penalty in full. God is the ultimate judge and God cries out for justice to be done throughout His whole creation. And the wages of sin, the punishment of sin is death. The the punishment for our injustice towards God and one another is death. It's to be exiled and put away from life. To be put away from God. And, And should we continue in our lives refusing His redemption and rescue, we will pay that penalty ourselves. It's called hell. We live apart from Him forever if that's what we choose. And yet Christ comes Himself to pay that just penalty on the cross. And so John can say in 1 John, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And John says later on, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is this propitiation. What is propitiation? It's a gift that puts away wrath. What sort of wrath? It's God's just wrath. It's God's just response to injustice. When I read the story of the hiding place and I think about that guard and that feeling inside of me that says, no, that's wrong. Someone's going to do something about that. No one feels that more than God Himself in His goodness and His holiness. And it's measured. He doesn't fly off the handle. He's patient. He endures those that, that do injustice for a long time, hoping that in time as He's ever kind to them, they might turn from their evil and, and be cleansed in Christ. But His wrath, His justice, must be poured out on injustice. And the truth of this is that Jesus Himself comes to bear that penalty. He is that sacrifice, that gift offered, that life given up to bear God's justice towards injustice for you and for me. That's the amazing good news and it's the purging comes through this. Through putting our faith in Christ and what He's done. The truth of Holy Week points ultimately to the cross and what Christ did on the cross to pay for our sins. To suffer for our injustices. He did not deserve Himself to suffer. And yet He chose to do that for us. And to shed His blood. And it's through simple faith in Jesus that we are counted forgiven. That justice is done in our lives. We have a choice. We can try to pay the penalty for our injustices before God ourselves. You'll never have finished trying to pay that. 
or you can run to Jesus. You can turn from those things and say, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live your way. Please forgive me. You can turn to Jesus through simple faith in Him. And you are counted as forgiven. His, the, the justice for your sins are, is executed in Christ. And then something wonderful happens here because the purging isn't just the fact that He sheds His blood to clean us, but then He comes to live in us. And He starts to teach us how to live justly. How to truly love others. How to be humble. How to look to Him for strength to do these things. How to love the lonely. How to care for people who work with us or for us. How to love our neighbors. How to love God in all this by working unto Him ultimately and loving our neighbors for His sake. He, he starts to work in our lives so that we actually start to do true justice. And we start to offer Him offerings that are acceptable and pleasing. That's the, the wonderful good news. In Hebrews 13, it speaks of this, that we are to continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge His name. And then it says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Isn't that wonderful? Christ comes. He dies on the cross. He rises from the dead. And, and when we hear that good news, that all that work that He did is applied to us, we're forgiven, and He comes to live in us, and He makes us into a new people who can begin to live out God's justice. And I'm so grateful to be here in a room full of people who are learning this. Who are learning to depend on God, to live in that forgiveness, ever remembering Christ crucified and risen. And in the power of that truth and His presence in you, learning how to love each other, how to forgive your siblings, how to forgive other church members, how to bear with each other. You know, the reality is, guys, is, is when you're called into a relationship, you get close, you realize that, that, we're, that nobody's normal. Everybody has idiosyncrasies and things that just rub you the wrong way, right? There's no one who's normal. Uh, and so if you're going to know anybody, you're going to find out their weak, weaknesses and faults. And it is, it is justice to, be, to forbear and love each other deeply, even in that context, in that reality. And that's a glorious thing. It pleases God for our youth to, to reach out in youth group to the, to the new person, to not just be in your clique. But to do justice by realizing that God has reached out and rescued you, so now in my youth group, I'm not going to just stay with my friends who I'm comfortable with. I'm going to actually welcome that new person and make them feel accepted and appreciated. Those are glorious things that please God. That's justice being done. The work with fostering care that's going on. That's wonderful. That's doing justice. That's coming to meet needs. And it happens in all sorts of ways. I, uh, I think of our friend Adam Krebs who recently died to be with the Lord. And he, Adam was a young man. He died at 35. He had been diagnosed with a brain tumor at 5. He had lived 30 years with that. And one could ask, where is the God of justice? This young man who's just a wonderful, kind young man never knew really a normal life. Where's, where's justice in that? And I think if you talk to Adam in the last days and if you were to talk to him now, he'd tell you, here's where justice is. Christ paid for my sin. And I'm forgiven and I'm now a member of the family. And I have an eternity with Him in glory. And it will only get better for me. Adam now is beholding God in all His glory. And when Christ returns to remake the earth, He will live a full and glorious eternal life at that point. 
and justice is done by Adam as he puts, sets his sight on the justice done by Christ and he endures through his sickness and even death with faith and joy. And he was a man of faith and even joy in his last days. That's how this Scripture is fulfilled. And finally, and quickly, the last point, Jesus brings justice through punishment. We've been talking about that already. He not only will come to bring redemption and purge His people and make His people a new people who will do justice, but He will come to those who refuse to run to Him and He will bring judgment and punishment. So He says, I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, who oppress the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. All sorts of injustices that are done. I will come and I will judge these. And I will punish them. And I will bring them their due punishment. God is not um, unjust in His punishment. It's, it's not Dante's Inferno or something. It's perfect justice done. But boy, it's, it's perfect justice. And this should warn us to flee to Christ for forgiveness and rescue. Flee to Him so that He pays the penalty for us and then we can live anew learning to do justice as we follow Him. He promises this and then we see in Revelation at the very end. It says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing My recompense with Me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. That's the first way he brings justice. We're washed, we're clean, we're accepted. But then he says, outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. He's going to judge and you'll be outside the life that comes in him. And so this is a warning to run to Jesus. And it's also a reminder for us that have been found by Christ to say, thank You, Jesus. Thank You that You died on that cross for my sins. You didn't have to. I deserve to be on that cross. Not You. Thank You for what You did on the cross. And now through Your resurrection life, help me. Please help me to be like You more and more. To be part of doing justice in the earth. To be part of representing Your life and Your goodness here. And there's all sorts of ways to do that. As the band comes up and we close and transition, I just want to encourage you right now to think of all these truths that we're seeing in Malachi and bring them home to one injustice that you're most aware of. Maybe it's an injustice that you've committed and you need to come to, to Him to say, please forgive me, help me to change. Maybe it's an injustice someone else has committed or is committing against you. Bring that to Him. Cast that at His feet. Ask Him to work justice. Ask Him to work change in that person that they would run to Jesus and find forgiveness and change. Trust Him to deal with it finally and fully in all His ways. So let's take a minute just to do that. Um, and then we'll come back and transition to communion. Take a minute just to be before the Lord.
Lord, we thank You for Your commitment to justice and that You Yourself have shown up as Jesus, God in the flesh, to work justice. And that justice will be finally and fully accomplished. We have complete confidence in You. We thank You for it. And Lord, we thank You for Your sacrifice, Jesus, for our sake, to pay for our injustices, that we can be forgiven and then created anew in You to, be live, to become like You, to live like You, and to do justice. Help us to be a people who live in these truths and live them out and shout them out to the world as well. To love those around us in Your name to declare these truths, we pray. Amen. Amen. If we could stand, we're going to pass the communion.